Today is November 23rd, 2014, and uh, our message today is called, My Apple is on Fire. All right? My Apple is on Fire. So, we're going to start in Genesis 48 and verse 15. Say there when you are there. Hallelujah. Two of you, where are the rest? Come on. Come on, first book of the Bible. You can't find it. Hang a left until there is no more. Then he blessed Joseph and said, by the way, he here is the man Israel, it's Jacob. Then he blessed Joseph and said, may the God before, before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. Somebody say that's a good blessing. Oh my goodness. We've been looking at engaging the text. We've been looking for the first time at what it's like to create the illusion of the first time. Can you imagine most of the world, how do they think of gods? I mean, when I go to India this year, it'll be my ninth trip there. A god might have all kind of gnarly things sticking off of it. A god might have a giant elephant trunk. A god might bring the death and disease and pestilence. You might need to put his picture on your car to ward off difficult things. You might have come from Maybe an Indo-European background. In the days before Christianity, they envisioned God as an old man on a throne, much like the Greeks did. In Zeus, he threw lightning bolts and fearsome. He had a cool beard, but he was fearsome. What does it mean to say, the God who has been my shepherd all of my life? What an odd picture. What would that make you think of? The very first time. How would you feel about a God who is a shepherd? Some of us want a God that's a warrior. Others want a God that is the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man and loves everything you do. In fact, that's what you hear presented on TV all of the time. No matter what you do, even if you're wicked, pulling the toenails off of your children, God just loves it. You're a champion. He loves it. I think that's a false gospel. I think He hates sin. But let's talk for a minute about what it would mean. What comes to mind when you say shepherd? What would you think of? It's an interesting thing. Because the man who sang it had seen lots of shepherds in his life. Shepherds take care of animals. They have to feed them. They have to provide for them. Most of all, they have to lead them. I want you to know that the patriarch Israel the man for whom the nation is named, the one who is the father of the covenants, so to speak, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, the man for whom most of this Bible is written about, saw God as his shepherd. How many of you own livestock in this room? Look at that. One person. But if we were writing this in the day, how many people would own livestock? Almost every person. 
Can we say that there's a significant cultural gap between the way they might have been impacted by the word shepherd and the way you might be impacted by the word shepherd? In fact, we see it everywhere when Jacob continues to bless his sons. I mean, when he starts, he talks this way. In 48.15, he calls God a shepherd. In 49.21, look how he says it to Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful vine, 22. A fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility. But his bow remained steady. His strong arm stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because your father's God who helps you, because of the Almighty who blesses you. But he calls God a shepherd. The first and most primary way that they related to the Lord in a personal way is he was their shepherd. Anywhere you go in the world that Christianity has been, we see certain things. If the British have been there, then we find that the people wear suits and ties even if they run around in loincloths the rest of the time. like to go back in history and change that, but we can't. We find out that they organize themselves into neat rows in their Christian assemblies, even if that's nowhere found in their culture. We find out that they like to sing certain hymns in English, even if they don't understand them, because somebody came to that land and explained to them, if you want to worship God, you have to do it like we do it. But the people of the book didn't do it like we do it. Somewhere along the way, as we engage the text... We have to acknowledge something. We have a lot to learn about the way they worship God. We do not shape the worldview of God. His scripture is supposed to shape the worldview of God. Can you say amen one more time? But one of the things that you will find, you can leave missionary materials in any of the 30 some odd countries we've been to. And when you go back, you will find something. They've gravitated to the 23rd Psalm. And you say, why? Why the 23rd Psalm? It's not a long Psalm. It's not even my favorite Psalm. I mean, have you ever read Psalm 34? My goodness. Have you ever really got into Psalm 37? These are amazing. Why Psalm 23? Well, turn there. The very first few words of it give us Something that almost the whole world relates to because most of the world is still an agricultural culture. The Lord is my... I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Somebody say, that's good, Pastor. It was good when David wrote it. It, it's, It's been good every year thereafter. And the whole world gravitates towards it. And there's a reason. When you wipe away the snow white Jesus that is pictured right above the 23rd Psalm, that looks nothing like the first century Jesus. It's funny how we did that. We changed God into our image. When you do that and you begin to look at this, this is something that most of the world relates to because everybody on the planet was given charge of something. Adam was given dominion over all of the animals. 
And all over the world, you care for something. How many of you have a pet in your home? You don't own livestock, but you do own a domesticated version, right? A little pocket dog or something that fits in your purse. I don't know what you own. That's not the point. Do you have to feed it? Do you think that after you've been feeding it for years, that thing bites its fingernails off wondering whether it's going to be fed every day? Or do you think it expects you to feed it? How about that? Do you think it lays in your house terrified of what the rest of the world is going to bring in on at any moment? Or do you think it rests secure? I mean, if your dog needs Xanax, you might need to examine whether or not you're a decent shepherd. The world is learning to relate to the Lord as their shepherd because first and foremost, He leads us in a way that provides for us. When we stand in the valley of the shadow of death, it's difficult, is it not? Do your knees tremble? And what's supposed to comfort you? The idea that you're only there because the Lord is leading you through it. And if He's with you, ask yourself, Why are you scared? What we don't like is to be told that we do not have faith. Even the rock stars in the 80s and 90s claim to have faith. And many of them wore crosses, right? Everybody likes to say they have faith as if it's a trophy that you can put on a shelf and say, I possess it. It's mine. But it's not a trophy. It's not even a noun. It's a verb. It's something that you possess. And do you know where you find out whether you have it or not? In those moments where you feel like the shepherd's far, but his word says he's near. I like to preach about things that impact me. I find out if you don't have a deep conviction about it, it's difficult to share a conviction with someone else. This week, do you know what we're seeing? In the midst of trouble, he's with those who call on his name. Our children can be born unhealthy just like everybody else's, but we have a God who can heal them. Our bodies can get sick with cancer like everybody else's, but we have a God who can intervene. We do not have to live in fear. We can be in the midst of the same trouble the whole world is in, but have an entirely different hope. The question is, does your life display that you have a good shepherd? Or when people look at your life, would they assume that your shepherd must be in retirement? Your shepherd must be blind. Your shepherd must be poor. Your shepherd must have problems. See, we proclaim that we have faith in our finances and then we bite our nails every time we check the mailbox. We proclaim that we believe the Lord heals until it's us who needs healing. I mean, we believe He'll heal somebody over there, but what about you? The revelation, the Lord is my. Say my. My. The Lord is my shepherd. When this old man, Israel, wanted to bless his children, when he wanted to leave a blessing for the generations to come, when he grabbed his son like I might grab mine, he said two things. The shepherd who has led me my whole life and your father's God. And they're one and the same. They both convey something. A very personal, intimate relationship. One that you've been scared and He's alleviated your fears. One that you've been in need and He's fed you. One that led you in a way you had never gone, but you survived it. May that kind of shepherd, that kind of God, bless you your whole life. And may you increase all over the earth so that they know we have a good shepherd. Oh man, what a revelation that is. We teach it to our children. 
You might have a snow white Jesus on your wall at home. The only thing whiter than him is the sheep next to him in the 23rd Psalms picture. What a joke. We don't need Jesus to look like us. We don't, we don't, some of you say, well, I'd like Jesus to be Caucasian. I'd love Jesus to be African. I would love Jesus to be Indian. The last thing you want is a God made in your image. He made you in His image. And our job is to be conformed to the image of God. Amen? Amen. I want to tell you quickly as an aside, the religions of the world all do the same thing. Does anybody know where Buddha is actually from? He's from India. In fact, his name was Siddhartha. And he was a man that had very dark skin. But by the time his teachings traveled across Asia... His eyes were no longer round and his skin was no longer light. How about that? Apparently, everybody would like to mold the deity they worship into an image that's more suitable to them. Be careful, Christian, that you do not do such a thing. I'm not speaking about a picture on a wall as much as a conception that's more palatable to you. Our God is a raging fire. Our God is a pillar of righteousness. In fact, wickedness can't stand in His presence. So we must be credited with righteousness just to stand in His presence. You need to know that our God is intolerant of sin. And He loves sinners because He changes them. Don't let the environment around us shape your conception of God in an unbiblical way. If you turn to the 28th Psalm, you see shepherd mentioned in the ninth verse. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and, what's it say? Carry them. See, one of the things that the ancient world understood is sometimes the little animals, sometimes the weak animals, sometimes the ones that don't fit in very well with the rest of the crowd. Have you ever seen what goats do to a goat that doesn't fit in very well? When I was a kid, I had Angora goats, about 300 of them. And one of the Angora goats was born abnormally. He had completely slick hair, like a Spanish goat. So we named him Slick Goat. If you put Slick Goat in a pen with the other couple hundred goats, you could hear him yelling for help all night because they were relentless. Push him to a corner. Butt him. Butt him. Butt him. You put him in a trailer. I drove one time from San Antonio all the way to... uh, North Dakota, and I could hear him screaming in the truck the entire time. They're relentless because he was just different. You know what a good shepherd does with something like that? That's the one that you carry. The one that can't quite walk right, the little crippled Mephibosheth, the one that was born with some kind of weakness, you help him because you're a good shepherd. And this generation that that read these words understood that a good shepherd helps carry the weak. That's an interesting thing. Turn to the 80th Psalm. If you haven't noticed, we started in the law. We're now in the writings and we're working our way towards the prophets. As you get to the 80th Psalm, notice the very first verse. Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who have led Joseph like a flock, 
You who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might and come to save us. It turns out that this gentle shepherd who is willing to carry the injured and carry the weak is also willing to take up arms against an enemy that might want to hurt his sheep. I was telling a man right before this service, I love you. This is a safe place here. You don't have to worry that somebody is going to stick you at any minute. We're not looking for a reason to exclude you or to put you out. The only thing that we don't like is sin. And the reason you see me so aggressive so often is not directed at our sheep. It's directed at the things that would try to eat our sheep. This is a safe place. You know what? The kingdom of God is like that. You have not one thing to fear if you're right with God. And if you are not right with God, you should be afraid. And anybody that says differently has never read the book. It is the very beginning of wisdom to learn what it is to fear God. This encourages a heart to repent, not just because of consequence, but because you don't want to be wrong with the one that has carried you this far. Somebody say amen to that. Oh, Jesus. In Numbers 27, we find such an interesting thing. Although God had been a shepherd to the people, writing in the time of Moses, after the Exodus, we've had a revelation from the mountain, and the revelation was about God's awesome character. And of course, when you look into the character of God, it causes you to reflect on your own character. And you begin to see the disparity between the two. And this is a call to repentance. It's a call to ask for help. It's a call for mercy. When you look at the righteous standard and you don't measure up, Say, God, will you carry me? Will you help me? I, I'm having trouble keeping up with what the standard for your flock is. Will you intervene on my behalf? And look what Moses is discussing here. In the 27th chapter, starting in the 15th verse, Moses said to Yahweh, said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community. If God is their shepherd, why do they need a man? If God is their shepherd, why are they asking for someone to be over them? May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and to come in before them. One who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Were they without a shepherd? They basically said, Lord, your ways are so high. They're so far above us. And sometimes it's so difficult to see you, even though you keep appearing in a pillar of fire and a cloud at night. And we see that you split the sea, but the Psalms say you let us through and we couldn't see your footprints. They said, we're having trouble discerning you as our shepherd. We know that you're our shepherd, but could you appoint Someone over this community. If you appointed somebody over this community to act as your shepherd, if maybe you had a vessel that you could reign through, then we might be able to follow. We might be able to relate. So Moses appointed somebody. Who did he appoint? He appointed Joshua. And after Joshua came an endless string of judges, and after the judges came the kings. In fact... When you think about that, 2 Samuel 5, 2, it calls David something. 
Second Samuel 5, 2 says this. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on the military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will become their ruler. It turns out that every king that ever ruled over Israel, every judge that ever ruled over Israel was not just envisioned with a crown. They were envisioned with a shepherd's staff. And there's a reason for this. They were supposed to imitate their God. They were supposed to be God's agent on the earth to do God's will. If you ever want to see this concept grossly abused, look at medieval Europe. The king believed he had the divine mandate to rule the people. He said, God installed me. And Romans 13 says, every authority installed by God, you have to obey. Of course, he didn't act like God. And this led nations like ours to wonder whether or not it was okay to throw off the tyranny of a king. Wow, we could remember that, huh? Was it okay to throw off the tyranny of a king? They decided that God had given people certain unalienable rights, and if a king acting as God's agent does things that God would not do, then perhaps he should not be your king. Did you know in this country we don't have a king? Did you know that? We have a president. He may want to be an emperor, but he is a president. I have one king, and I have one shepherd. And I love him because he's altogether righteous. But there have been many kings and many shepherds. They ruled over God's people. They ruled over enormous sections of the world. In fact, First Chronicles 17, go there with me. Don't get scripture tired. We love this book. We love it. If you're not devouring the word daily, then your spiritual stomach is devouring your backbone. I want to tell you if what you're doing is listening just to preaching on the radio, then you, like a child, are simply being resorted to being bottle-fed. You are supposed to get daily bread that doesn't come through the Vatican. It doesn't come through Springfield, Missouri. It doesn't come through your local church franchise. It comes between your relationship with you and your shepherd. You are supposed to be fed Daily, don't settle for table scraps when you can sit at the table with your king and shepherd. Amen? First Chronicles 17. Look at the fourth verse. Are you there? I'm not there. I'm getting there. 17, 4. Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build a house, a house to dwell in. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this day. I have moved from one tent site to another, from one dwelling place to another. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their leaders whom I commanded to... Shepherd my people. Why have you not built me a house? It turns out that every leader, whether we're talking about Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who was wicked, Ahab, who was wicked, Asa, who started well and finished poorly, Jehoshaphat, or crazy Jehu, every leader was appointed to shepherd God's people. Do you know why? He's not just the king immortal. He's also the shepherd of the people. He doesn't sit in an ivory palace and simply dictate orders. He comes and leads his people. Maybe this is why Romans 8.14 says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God 
are the sons of God. You want to know you're really in the fold? You want to know you're really in the flock? Are you following the leading of God's Spirit? See, anybody can say, "Uh uh-huh, to a few points of doctrine that are regurgitated upon a screen for you or in a new believer's class for you to simply sign at the end and get your USDA stamp as a Christian. But only you know whether He is leading you. And then the question becomes, is He leading you only down the paths you want to go? Is He feeding you only the things that you want to eat? Is He causing you to drink from streams only in safe places? Or are you content to be with Him if the food is not to your flesh's liking? If the scenery is not to your flesh's liking? If the still waters that He chooses you to drink from are within sight of the enemy's table? I say it's enough to be with the shepherd. But then this separates sheep from goats, doesn't it? Sheep follow their shepherd. Goats are stubborn. They blame the goats around them. They butt them. They have a hard time following their shepherd. They would rather play on the mountain heights. What are you? Now's the time you might want to reflect on that. I'm going to tell you the truth. I have trouble following him. I struggle to follow him. I'm weaker than I want to be. I'm more stubborn than I want to be. But I have found out He's worth following. I have found out that whatever He's feeding me is what I need. I have found out that whatever He's picked for me to camp is exactly where He wants me to be. I've actually become more comfortable being me because He's with me. Somebody say amen. If everybody who ever led Israel was called a shepherd... Then the question becomes, how did Israel end up in such a hole? It turns out that many of the men that God appoints to lead don't lead like God leads. What happens when there's a way that seems best unto you? What happens when there's a path that you would prefer to travel in? What happens when we know the highway, when we know God's way, but we choose something that's more expedient? The sheep suffer. Today we live in an age where the shepherds will not even warn the sheep anymore because that's not how you build a ministry. Just tell them what they want to hear. Of course, you might be leading them to the spiritual slaughter if you do that. Listen to Ezekiel 34 and think about what it would be like if you watched every one in your flock born. If after watching them born, you bottle-fed the orphans, you tended the wounds of the sick, what would happen if you had searched for the strays, if you loved these sheep? They were not just your livelihood. They were your passion. You know, when you find a shepherd, it's a funny thing. He gets frustrated with his sheep. Matt, you remember that guy threw a stick at him in India? It was the funniest thing I ever saw. We're driving down a dusty road in India, right? And there's these sheep all over the road and some goats all over the road. And, and the guy's uh, making verbal cues to them. And, and he's using his stick to get their attention. But there's two of them that just insist on headed for the car. And the shepherd is so mad, he takes his staff and he just threw it at them. And, and we're all just hanging out of the car laughing because we knew exactly how he felt. 
There are days I was supposed to feed the Word to somebody and instead I just threw it at them. I just tried to beat the Gospel right into them and I failed both of us. I know what it's like to experience frustration, but we cannot give up on God's ways. The only reason that any of us are leaders of anything, including our own houses, is we represent God who is a king and who is a shepherd. Are you in the 34th chapter of Ezekiel? If you want to test a biblical doctrine, you might see whether or not it's in the law whether or not it's in the writings and whether or not it's in the prophets, if you find it in all three places, it might be the kind of thing that you would want to ingest as nutrients for your soul, safe to eat. Psalm, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 34, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Who made them shepherds? And God corrects His own house. Do you hear me? We have a wicked mayor in this town. She is corrupt, depraved. I wish that she would subpoena my sermons. I would feel very, very honored. But I'm not as concerned with a depraved mayor as Christianity that cannot tell sheep from goats and cannot tell what the will of God is because they've been so influenced by marketing and so influenced by entertainment that they don't act like shepherds anymore. They act like CEOs. That hurts my heart. Here today, you may not see a train speaker. You may not see a man that could sell real estate with a smile. But what you will see is the heart of a shepherd. And I pray that you imitate that heart as well. The Lord corrects his house. The Lord, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who take care of only themselves. Can you imagine if I had a Learjet and you're struggling to pay your rent? Or if I bragged about my $3,000 suit and you're not sure how you're going to pay a medical bill? What do you think the Lord would say about that? And let me ask you, is that how the early church lived? Or did they sell everything they had of value, lay it at the apostles' feet, feet to be distributed among all equally? How far are we from the flock of God at times? Woe to the shepherds of Israel who take who only take care of themselves. Do you have to take care of yourself as a shepherd? Of course. God's first indictment against the leaders of His people was that they cared more about themselves than they cared about anyone else. Think of the teachings of Jesus. They require us to think more of everyone else than ourselves. What is He correcting? Those were not written to lost people, friends. Those were written to people who were supposed to be in God's flock. Oh, when you look in the mirror of God's Word, examining your actions, are you following after the shepherd in this way? Do you genuinely care more about other people's welfare than you care about yours? Look at the next. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds. Clothe yourselves with the wool. And slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. You know the number one complaint I get from people when I tell them I'm a pastor? It never comes from people in this church. 
People, shockingly enough, don't see me as a pastor unless I tell them I am, and I like not to tell them I am. They have often thought of motorcycle, construction, in other countries, wrestler. Their TVs are small and black and white. Pastor's never their first guess. And when I tell them I am, you remember who was in Peru? You remember Michael, the drunk German? How shocked he was? Yeah, and he, he thought I was a motorcycle guy. And um, the first thing they, they always say is, do you wear those suits and drive one of those Mercedes? That's what the world's begun to think of God's shepherds. I say, no, actually, we follow in the footstep of our shepherds and we, we are feeding poor around the world. We're building houses for orphans, not because we want to do humanitarian work, because it's the work of God. And we would never do it without telling them they must be born again and making them feel the weight of their sin and a desire to return from it. We would never do one without the other. They have the most unusual response to that usually. Wow, I've never met people like that. I met a Cuban in a place where you buy products made for Cuba, rolled in neat little packages. And uh, he had never met Christians like that. Church, can you imagine that the primary representatives of Jesus on the earth through television and radio and marketing do not convey the picture of a shepherd Listen to what these shepherds failed to do. This is verse 4. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. What was the primary work of the shepherds? Strengthen the weak. Heal the sick. Bind up the injured, bring back the strays, search for the lost. That doesn't sound merely like a teaching center. That doesn't sound like these people would say, if you send me $100, God will send you $700. I've always wondered, if that's true, why doesn't the televangelist just send you 100 and let God send him the 700 What is the primary work of the shepherd. Do you notice all this has to do with the health of the sheep? Every bit of this is concerned with the other person, not with you. So, oh, pastor is, I mean, I'm, you're in full-time ministry. What kind of ministry are you in? Part-time? Half-time? Quarter-time? Sunday, Wednesday? Three times a year? What, what part Christian are you? We're all supposed to walk in the footsteps of our king. Strengthen the weak, heal the sick, bind up the injured, bring back the strays, search for the lost. Tell me a church is not interested in evangelism and I say you have lost what it means to be a shepherd. Tell me a church is not interested in missions work and I would say you have lost the purpose of a church altogether. Show me a church that no longer prays for the sick openly, publicly, as the Word says, by anointing with oil and laying on hands, I would say, then how are you a shepherd? So, he's the shepherd, then what are you? Leaders, shepherd in his stead. 
We can all admit that we may have been poor shepherds. We can look around and point and say, other people were poor shepherds. Maybe it makes us feel better about our shepherding if we look at other people's shepherding. If you don't measure up to God's righteous standard, then look for a lower standard to measure yourself against. Listen to what God's answer to this problem is. Are you in verse 11? Get to 11. Say there, pastor. The rest of you say there, pastor. We're a small church. If you don't speak to me, I'm going to come sit with you and let somebody else preach. Say there, pastor. In verse 11, check this out. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. By the way, what an interesting way to announce himself. Lord's not enough. Owner and controller's not enough. To say, Lord, not enough. He's telling you. How emphatic is this? I am the monarch of all and your owner and controller. And this is what I'm saying. Do you think he's serious about it? For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself. When people talk like that, you you are either drawn to their inability to properly construct a sentence or that they're trying to emphasize something. If I say I, do I need to say myself? And if I say myself, do I need to say I? Listen to how repetitious God is. I am your sovereign. I am your Lord. I myself. Is he trying to get our attention? Apparently, this is a serious subject to him. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. May 14th, 1948, Israel became a nation again. And we see God's sheep gathering in His pen. I will pastor them on the mountains of... No way to spiritualize that, friends. God Himself will pastor His sheep on the mountains of... Not Palestine. What is it called? Israel. In the ravines and in all the settlements in the land, I will tend them in good pasture and on the mountain heights of will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing and there they will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd with justice. Does God have a preferential treatment for the poor? Does He care about the strays? Does He care about the sick and the injured? Yes. He did not come for the healthy. He came for those that knew they were injured, weak, sick, straying, or lost. Psalm 25 says it is sinners that He instructs in His ways. Friends, when we know our condition, we know of our need for a shepherd. How do we reconcile the two then that God says, I myself will do this, but He granted the request that He would appoint a man over His community. Micah hints at this truth. Turn with me to Micah, the fifth chapter. Say there when you're there. You can find it by Jonah, Micah, Nahum. What an interesting scripture. By the way, if you've bought the idea that the 12 minor prophets are minor, then the 12 disciples must be minor too, right? 
These men prophesied about things as important as the birth of Christ. When's the last time you read them? <laughs> when's, the, when's the last time you heard a message that quoted from four or five minor prophets? Oh, that we could learn to love the whole counsel of the Word of God. I, I, I'm just curious, have you ever seen Habakkuk 3 quoted at a baseball game? Why is the only scripture people can find John 3.16 and they don't know what John 3.17 says? Why is it that the only thing most can say when you point out sin is judge not lest you be judged? To which, of course, we reply, twist not lest you be Satan. Church, our shepherd is leading us somewhere. And the times are going to get turbulent. Do you know which part of the flock survives when they're under attack? Those closest to their shepherd. He loves them. He cares for them. They don't have to be strong. They don't have to be smart. You can have buck teeth and be pot-bellied, be going bold, and he will love you like you were his own son if you just know how bad you need him and want to be obedient. And Micah, the fifth chapter, starting in the fourth verse. Nope, starting in the second verse. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins for, are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth. And the rest of his brothers will return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. About whose birth was that scripture prophesied? And Matthew 2 quotes it. So God said, I myself will shepherd the people. The leaders I've appointed haven't done a good job. I myself will do it. And then he says... But there's going to be a leader come out of Bethlehem. Of course, his origins will be from old. He'll be from ancient times. He's going to bring the world peace. And we find out that God's fullness, the deity of God, the wholeness of God, dwelt in the man Jesus. So that the book of Romans says Jesus is God. And of course, he said it many times in very Jewish ways. God decided to do what every man before him had failed to do. Properly shepherd his people. Is Psalm 23 the only time you think of the Lord as a shepherd? By the way, is only his birth spoken of as a shepherd being given to Israel? Keep turning to the right in your Bible until you find the book of Zechariah. If you hit Malachi, you went too far. We're going to be in Zechariah 13. If you sit in this ministry long enough, you will learn Something from every chapter in the Bible. You stay long enough on a Monday night, we teach through every line of the Word. There's a reason for this. I want the whole counsel of my shepherd, not just the parts I like. I've actually learned to eat new foods with him. Anybody in here convinced when you were young that broccoli was of the devil? Uh, how about asparagus? I'm still convinced Brussels sprouts are of the devil. Um, but I have learned to eat things that I didn't like to eat before because they're good for me. A good shepherd will teach you how to feed on his word, even the parts 
that at first you don't understand. In fact, on almost every level you can look at it, whether it is plainly written on the surface, whether it's something hinted at just between the text, whether it's something that you have to piece together from comparative scriptures or it's a direct revelation from the throne, you will find out He has a feast for you. The psalmist said, I feast on the abundance of His delights. You don't hear men speak like that anymore because they're nibbling on junk food left over from theologians in years past. Are you in Zechariah 13? Look at verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered and I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it and live. This third I will bring into the fire and I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. It turns out that the very shepherd that God raised up and was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem was also prophesied that he would be stricken and that the sheep would be scattered. Do you recognize the quote? It was said of Jesus while He was on the cross or on His way to the cross. So many of those who should be sheep have been slaughtered because God's flock was not shepherded by the men He left in charge. But those who walk through fire with Him, He will refine like silver. Silver in the Bible is the medal of redemption. Gold in the Bible is the medal of divinity. What are the marks that you're being led by the good shepherd? You walk in his redemption, you participate in his divinity, and you want it for everybody that you meet. You show me men that are not burning for the lost. You show me men that have no concern for their fellow man, and I tell you there is no way they are following my shepherd. Because that's what his heart is. That's what he's looking for. He's not the self-help gospel. He's not the book club that Oprah sponsors. He's not a center of selfishness. He is concerned about the little ones. Where is your heart today? We've now arrived at the New Testament. Turn with me to Mark 6. Say there when you were there. In Mark 6, look at verse 32. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, He had compassion on them. Say it. He had compassion on them. When we see a large crowd, our reaction is, what can I do? I'm one man. When we see a large crowd, we say, well, you know, that's their issue. In fact, if you hear one person died, you're heartbroken. You hear five people died, you're heartbroken. You hear a thousand people died, and it's a statistic. You hear a million died, you can't even relate to it. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, in the core of the being of Jesus because He is the invisible God, invisible form, the radiance of His glory. 
He is the perfect shepherd. He has compassion on people. You know the story. He feeds 5,000 of them with five loaves and two fishes. And he picks up 12 basketfuls left over. The number of things you could preach from that text are innumerable. Today, I only want you to know that when he sees people without a shepherd, he desires to shepherd them. How dare we look at the lost and say, well, they're a lost. If God wanted to save them, he would save them. How dare we delegate or relegate these problems to someone else when he sees people who are not shepherded. He wants to shepherd them. Oh, church, what are unshepherded animals like? They're gnarly. They're nasty. Have you ever seen a sheep that nobody has sheared in a long time? They can actually grow so much wool that they can't see. What's a sheep like that can't see? (laughs) Have you ever seen how matted and ridiculous their wool gets? They develop sores in their ears and on their nose. In fact, they can be nasty to be around because they stink so bad. What's it like if you think you're his sheep, but you don't let yourself be shepherded? Have you ever read about the church of Laodicea? Have you ever read about it? They thought they had everything they needed and they didn't have one thing that God wanted them to have. How interesting. Most Bible prophecy experts, and I think they get it wrong, they break up everything into dispensations. That's not how I see it. But in any case, they say, we're in the dispensation of Laodicea. Well, you don't act like it. It's like everybody can keenly put their finger on the problem, but nobody knows the solution. The solution is to be like Jesus. It's not unobtainable. In fact, the very reason that He came and walked about in the flesh was because people standing at a mountain looking at the character of God said, we need to see this. I mean, we love that you're our shepherd, but we're going to have to see this walked out. We need to, uh, like, where do I put my feet? How do I put my hands? What, what does it look like? So Jesus was the living, breathing, incarnated shepherd. What do you think your life ought to look like? Somebody say amen. Amen. I don't know why that's just what we do in church. I'm kidding. It means so be it unto God. We ought to be like the shepherd. Now we've arrived at our text. Turn with me to John 10. You have to ask yourself, what would it have been like to have heard these words for the very first time? How many sermons have you heard in your life on John 10? How can you begin to strip away all of the layers of understanding that you already have about John 10? When you close your eyes and envision Jesus, does He have blonde hair and blue eyes? When you when you think of Jesus as He seated in a leather high-back chair, with a library behind him like so many pastors on their books. How curious none of them chose to be pictured with their sheep, which is the joy and the crown of any real man of God. Isn't that an interesting thing? That pastors, when, when they put their little glamour shot on everything, you know, their billboard that says, I'm better than you, or whatever it says, It's always them and their Barbie doll wives. I'm happy to have a wife that I think is beautiful. Isn't Jennifer beautiful? She's turning red right now. 
but our joy and our crown is what God's accomplishing in you. Somebody say amen to that. I want to bring in many crowns. Many crowns. Are you in John 10? I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him. Did you hear that? The watchman opens the gate for him. And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Could we put that picture on the screen? You think... What was the original church thinking about? I know. They were thinking about the Mormons in, uh, in North America. Have you ever, you've never run into a Mormon that quoted this passage to you? Good. Good for you. Don't answer your door on Saturday morning. Or be prepared when you do. That's what we do. We invite them in. Close the door behind them and say, you've been caught. The original church would have envisioned something that looked like this. So that doesn't look much like a sheep pen. Well, that's because you couldn't go to the local 4-H club and pick up uh, rounded panels. What would happen is a shepherd would stay in that cave. It's a, it's a break from the wind. It's a break from the sun. It's shade. In fact, when you go in these caves, you very often in Israel, this one's outside Bethlehem, and I've been in many just like it, you often can still see remnants of the first century. They wrote things on the walls. They did all kinds of things. Uh, you can see where the soot burned the top of the uh, cave because they were cooking in it. And they used the rocks that were around this to form a pen. It usually looked a little bit like a semicircle. And that pen uh, helped hold the sheep in. You know, on a particularly stormy night like we had the other night, you've heard of the band Three Dog Night? No, only you old people have, right? Like me. Some of you. Yes. Where, where are you at, Steve? We, we know who Three Dog Night is, huh? Three Dog Night is a takeoff of an old western. If it was cold, you pulled up one dog. If it was really cold, you surround yourself with at least three dogs. The ancient shepherds, they brought the sheep into their dwelling place. They did because it was mutually beneficial. They knew if the sheep was right there with them, nothing was going to eat their sheep. And also, they benefited from the warmth and the comfort of the sheep. Can you imagine how lonely it would be to stay out there? What an interesting thing. Jesus said about this, that if you came into this pen by some way other than the gate, you were a thief. You were a robber. Do you know why? The pen was meant to keep out wolves. It was meant to keep in the sheep and to keep out the wolves. He said that the shepherd enters through somebody who opens the gate. Who broke open the way for Jesus? John the Baptist came announcing him. It turns out that there's more than one kind of pen that the people were in. They were trapped in some false religious ideas. And a man named John came and began to break open that way by talking about repentance. You think repentance is a harsh thing. You think that repentance is to beat you down. I want to tell you repentance is to break open the way. You want to be like your shepherd. It starts with breaking out of what you are already doing. 
Could we put Micah 2.12 on the screen? This was prophesied about in the book of Micah. One who breaks open the way. It says, I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen. Like a flock in its own pasture. The place will throng with people. One who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. One who breaks open the way and then the Lord would lead the sheep out. Repentance breaks open the way for the Lord to lead you. Many of us are saying, Lord, we want you to lead us. We want you to be our shepherd. But we will not do anything other than what we are doing right now. Lord, lead me into good places while I go to the places I want to go. While I do the things that I want to do. While I eat the things I want to eat. Watch the things I want to watch. I want it my own way while claiming to follow you. The thing that breaks open the way is repentance. Do you realize that a man's entire life was prophesied about not just Jesus, John the Baptist, centuries in advance. His ministry was only six months long because all he had to do was create an opening where the people could actually consider they were not right with God. Oh, how do we need somebody to break open the way today? We have the same problem that they had. We're all pretty sure that we're right with God already because that's what our shepherds have told us while they have taken our money, not prayed for us while we were sick, not healed us when we were injured, never done a thing to strengthen us. They just take our money. Your job has been to sit in church and to throw money into a box or a plate. This was never the job of God's people. A shepherd was to teach you to do what his shepherd had taught him to do. You were supposed to go out and make more shepherds. Jesus did not say, go make more Christians. He said, go make disciples. Oh, come on, church. We need to break open the way. It begins with repentance. Pick up with me in verse 7 and you will find something so beautiful. For now, put the picture of the sheep pen on the screen and you follow in your Bibles. Therefore, Jesus said again, John 10, 7, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. So somebody broke open the way through the repentance, the shepherd entered through the gate, but in a miraculous turn of events, the shepherd happens to also be the gate. This is what is called a remez in the Bible. It is hinting at something. Someone would break open the way through repentance, but the man who is also actually the gate himself would be broken open. Blood and water would flow from his side. Let us not get too deep. I do not want to lose you, though I hope to interest you. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. Whoever came, all who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Does that sound familiar to you? The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. (laughs) How many of you have been taught that's the devil? Most of you. I taught you. (laughs) Certainly this is true of the devil. Do you know who it's about to the original audience? The religious leaders of the day. Apparently Jesus was not at all shy about telling the truth. Why are we so scared to tell the truth? So worried about offending people. 
God is above all else pure truth. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out. He will find pastor. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Are you experiencing a full life? Are you having a great life? What we hear from so many is that to have a great life, all you have to do is buy their book. To have a great life, all you have to do is follow your shepherd wherever he would lead you. Others might not call it great, but it's great to you because you are making more of your kind. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father and I lay down my sheep, my life for my sheep. For the sheep. Verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock, one shepherd. Now three more times. He says, I lay down my life. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. Only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. If you were hearing this for the first time, would you think he was speaking of a crucifixion? What about being crucified as being laid down? What on earth could he be talking about? Of course, if you were shepherds in this region, the only time you had ever seen a shepherd lay down particularly a shepherd who's saying he is the gate, is do you see that narrow opening between those two rocks? What they did when they were under attack is they stacked rocks higher and higher and higher everywhere except the width of the shepherd. And the shepherd literally laid down. He put his sheep in the pen in the cave and he laid down in that narrow opening so that while he was asleep, nothing would come through and get his sheep. You want to know whether you found a shepherd? Find a shepherd when he cares more about your welfare than his. He doesn't stand in the gap. He will lay down his life in that gap. Tell me we've not made a mistake by picking the finest orators we can find to be our shepherds. This shepherd stood between you and the enemy. What an interesting concept. Sometimes they piled the rocks so high But have you ever seen a determined pack of wolves? Oh, goodness, that you would never meet a determined pack of wolves. They come in committees. I mean, uh, they come in packs. A determined pack of wolves will scale walls. Thieves will scale walls. They don't want to deal with the shepherd. They're going to climb the wall in the furthest place from the shepherd. Have you ever read 121st Psalm? He who watches over me will neither sleep nor slumber. Nobody's getting past this shepherd. He won't let the sun smite me by day nor the moon by night. These were men and women who understood what it was to stand watch, to stand in the gap and to lay down their lives for the sheep. We need to return to the exaltation of the need of the sheep above the pastor. We need this. We need it because that's when the world will say, I see something here I've never seen anywhere else.
You can say, oh, well, we can model that from the pulpit. The pulpit is a few hours a week and this church maybe a whole bunch of hours a week. But it has to be modeled in our lives. He lays down his life. Turn with me to Zechariah 2 where this plane will land. The world has looked at us so often and said those people never have anything. They're always under attack. Their lives are difficult. Everything they say is true and so much more they have failed to say. But they're missing out on something. In Zechariah 2, start with me in verse 1. Then I looked up and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, where are you going? He answered me to measure Jerusalem to find out how wide and how long it is. I don't have time to teach you through comparative study, but the city of Jerusalem represents the people of God. How long, how wide, how many are there? Then the angel who was speaking to me left and another angel came to him and said to him, run and tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of men and the livestock in it. What are walls for in a city? To protect you. Why do you live in gated communities? Why do we have security systems in our home? Why do you lock the first lock on the door and the deadbolt on the door and some of you have more than one deadbolt on your door? Because I live in Houston, Pastor. (laughs) Jerusalem would be a city without walls. It would have no visible means of protection. It would be as vulnerable as, say, a lamb before the slaughter. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it. Put that picture back on the screen for me. I myself will be a wall of fire around it. You would stack stones to the left and right of this opening. You would stack them higher than a man is tall in the hopes that nothing would crawl over it. Then you would put bits of glass or broken pottery on the top the same way that in many third world countries that forms barbed wire to this day. If still... In the night, you were fighting off wolves and you were worried for your sheep. The very last thing that you did was light the top of the walls on fire. This was the safest protection. No wolf would climb and have to go through the fire. No man would climb and have to go through the fire. The only way then left to get to the sheep would be to go through the shepherd. And he never left. He laid down his life in that gap. You think that the 300 Spartans were brave because they stood in a narrow path and faced a larger army. This shepherd stood in a shoulder-wide gap and said, I don't care how many there are or if it takes me a resurrection from the dead to do it, you will not eat my sheep. Do you think he loves you? Do you think he will call into account you or any other man? who is not shepherding his sheep. Yes, he gave his life for them. And when he sees men who are unshepherded, he wants to shepherd them. Here's the best part of the verse, though. He doesn't say, I will be a wall of fire around them only. The next part of the verse, read it. What's he say? And I will be its glory 
within. The rest of the world says, look, their lives embattled, their children are sick and they're praying for healing. Their bodies are run down and they're having to pray for a restoration of their soul. Look, they're in the valley of the shadow of death. And I say, that's where the glory is. Because this is when you find out in adversity that He has lit a wall of fire around you and nobody gets to you unless they go through Him. This is where you find out that He's closer to you than you ever knew that He was. Oh, if a brother is born for an adversity, then what is your shepherd born for? Oh, He came for this purpose. Church, if we don't let Him lead us where He wants us to go, you may never see Him actually light the wall on fire because you will not be vulnerable. He wants you to be a city without walls. No walls between you and the people you meet. Why do we erect those walls? Why do you keep people at a distance? Why do you only let some know certain details about your life? We keep people at a distance because we don't want to be hurt. It was never your job to protect your life. It was your shepherd's job. Are you saying that you don't trust him? No, we would never say it. Could we move to an area of greater trust in him? When you realize he is standing between you and anything that would truly harm you. It becomes a whole lot easier to face dangers, whether they be in this country or another country, wherever they are. Do you trust your shepherd? So you don't understand. I've seen such poor examples. They were just examples. We have a perfect example in Christ. He doesn't stop there, though. Keep your finger in Zechariah. Verse 7, Come on, Zion, escape you who live in the daughter of Babylon. For this is what the Lord Almighty says after He has honored me and has sent me against the nations that have plundered you. For whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. The apple of your eye in the ancient world was a word for pupil. (laughs) Sometimes we make so much of the devil. He comes to steal. He comes to kill and destroy, we say. The devil this, the devil that. Is there anybody in here honestly that thinks that the Lord is going to let the devil poke him in the eyeball? The earth and the sky flee from his presence. No wickedness stands in his presence. Do you think he's going to let some man walk up and jab his finger into the eye of God? Then he says, you are the apple of my eye. I want to tell you it is a glorious thing to have to be surrounded by the fire of God. It means that you're in the same battle with Him. I want to tell you that it's a glorious thing to lay your life on the line with Him. It means that you're walking in His footsteps. I want to tell you it's a glorious thing to be a city without walls because it means you have a chance to shepherd. It is a glorious thing to be like your king. Could you stand to your feet?